All right, welcome back to But Why Should I Care with Deanna Huff and Ellie Huff. Today we will be discussing another chapter in Paul and the Giants of Philosophy, the book that we discussed last week regarding... Look, go ahead, give us an intro of the book. It's really talking about the contemporaries of Paul, mm-hmm. the philosophers during his time period, Yes, and some of the subjects that they would have been dealing with. Right. So the idea is that we are discussing the ideas, you know, uh, that were circulating in the time of the writing of the Bible, specifically the New Testament, obviously, because we're talking about Paul. Okay. And I really like this one because, you know, you always think about the golden rule. Yes. But I will tell you, this is not what I thought about (laughs) any time that Seneca's name ever got brought up. That was not what I was thinking. Yes. So as she said, we are going to be discussing Seneca today. So... I feel like I hear a lot about Seneca, so his name comes up in a lot of songs I listen to. I don't know. So we have Seneca on the nightstand for Thomas Jefferson. We have him all throughout, obviously, Stoic philosophy, Roman history. So just as an intro. Very popular name. Yes. Yeah. So we have Seneca, who is an aristocrat, if you will, of the time, a higher up, and So he was in the Roman, you know, higher class, if you will. He taught Nero. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's where uh, we kind of find him and we find his, his writings and things. And at first that seems to be a good thing. Yeah. But then doesn't turn out so well for him him because (laughs) they end up forcing him to commit self-slaughter, if you will, because they think that he was involved in the assassination of Nero. Something 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 like that, yeah. Something along those lines. Anyway, so we have Seneca, our Stoic philosopher of ancient Rome. And remind us a few things about Stoicism. Yes, so we have Stoicism, which is mainly focused on living in agreement with nature, living in accordance with nature. So this idea that we can be utterly unmoved by by situations and and how they affect us we respond in a very virtuous way so you know god is permeating all of reality now this is specifically ancient stoics just to clarify because there is a sort of different perception or um they they present themselves differently you know today yeah Yeah. and there's a there's a big movement in stoicism today Mm -hmm. which it would be good if you're talking to somebody about stoicism to make sure you define your terms, those kinds of things. Yes. So, but in ancient Rome, in ancient stoicism, everything would be determined by some type of either fortune or reason or divine being. It was very ambiguous, but the moral of the story is to, like the stoic sage, they would say, was genuinely happy, lacks nothing, was independent of fortune, uh, wants only to live virtuously and was virtuous by living in accordance with this nature. So they're going to look unmoved in situations. They don't have super high highs or super low lows, not emotionally um, invested necessarily because they're content independently. So they're not being affirmed by this world. They're not necessarily, I mean, I guess they would be this sort of like life of like resigning, right? All that to say this was what looked like the strong person in his time. He was with ancient Rome. So we have, you know, Augustus and everything and him instilling this whole Stoic philosophy so that everyone under the Roman Empire could 
find this unity in in looking like each other this this strong character it kind of reminds me of what we were talking about earlier when you look at different segments of people and they have these value systems Mm -hmm. they have these ideas that they try to have in common together to bring the group together Mm -hmm. so so like if you're in the military you might have these different values like or different qualities that you want everybody to have yes and that's kind of what you're saying here yeah and i mean you can see it throughout all empires or whatever or any nation so look at america it's individualism yes yes so theirs would have been you know generosity contentment um all of the like latin words that they talk about fidelitas gravitas anyways all that to say they align with these particular virtues and they aspire to live in a way where they emulate those. Yeah, and so this comes up with Seneca mm-hmm. regarding Paul that we're talking about today in the chapter mm-hmm. in this idea of how masters and slave, slaves treat one another. And yes. Seneca writes this letter and or epistle that mm-hmm. they called it during that time period yes. and it would have been the 47th epistle yes so in this particular chapter they walk through how uh highlighting what uh were the fundamentals of seneca's perspective on a slave and master relationship so he presents what is the golden rule which is to treat those as you want to be treated right so um which is interesting because we're yeah. post-abolitionists, mm-hmm. and so we would never, ever want to promote slavery of any way in any way, right? Right, right. But during their time period, mm-hmm. there was this slave-master relationship, and they were speaking to it in this way. Right. So this was... Uh, they mentioned in the chapter there were good relationships between slaves and masters. There were bad relationships. So in the bad relationships, it was as bad as you could think of. Um, and in good relationships, they would have this sort of friendship, you know? Yeah, and even to the point where they could make their way out of being a slave. slave. Right. So, I mean, we've heard stories like this, like over the course of history, how this relationship should look. And it's interesting because what we're trying to point out here is even as Seneca does not have any affiliation religiously with Christianity, there's he's not necessarily deriving his way of life from, I mean, the Torah or whatever, right? So right, like he's right. not Jewish or whatever, and he's not uh, living by way of Christianity. So we see him still claiming the right thing to do is to have this sort of friendship between man and man because we are both individuals who have great worth and that was as we said like obviously christians know that because god has given us all value as human beings but it's interesting when you take that out of the scope of christianity and look at it in seneca's stoic philosophy and he saw uh, reason as being a like rationality as being a good reason for um, developing friendships with said slave and said master. So the importance of this this discussion within the epistle number forty seven that Seneca wrote is to emphasize that even as a non-believer, there were similar values between Paul and Seneca. So go ahead with Paul, what his. Well, and before we go on to that, it just okay. made me think about this. And when we think about Martin Luther King Jr., right? Mm-hmm. 
and we look at Seneca's writings. I was thinking about this and wrote this out because Martin Luther King, he is very well known for judge a man not by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character, right? Mm -hmm. In Seneca, he writes something very similar, which is very interesting. He says, one should judge slaves according to their character, not on their social position. And right. so even though it's a, it's a different way of looking at it, you're demeaning a person either by their social status or mm -hmm. you're demeaning a person by the color of their skin, Martin Luther King Jr. was mm -hmm. saying, Seneca was saying, you're demeaning a person by their social status. Right. What they're really saying is, listen, all mankind has worth, and we should be treating mankind, all of humanity, with respect. And yet, here you have, you know, Seneca, who is not even a believer in Christianity, who can clearly see this. Yes. And Martin Luther King Jr. was talking to everyone about this. He wasn't just saying, hey, hey this is just for the Christian. Yeah. This is for all mankind. Yes. And it's intuitively obvious in a way. Like, obviously, since we are in 2022 now, we understand this. But in a time when it was not even questioned yes. or uh, necessarily um, I don't know what would the right term be because this is, an, this is the most important part I think of discussing uh, this whole relationship between slave and master like making like when why did we just figure out that like slavery was a bad thing right yes and and I think that you know it was so ingrained in their society and their it's social system and yes, and, and I think that, you know, that was their way of living. And so instead of trying to change the system, they began to change the people. And, mm. and as the people begin to change, and what we see here in America, the, the system has to change when the people begin to recognize, hey, there's awareness of this. Mm -hmm. um, the system didn't change for them like it did did. For us here in America and we're still trying to change I mean there's still so many things that people have to discuss and put on the table and all of those things one thing we can all agree on and should continue to advocate is that Seneca had this right when he said we ought to be treating one another as friends right you never know when you're going to have the higher position or the lower position right um, but we all know that we are in humanity and can treat one another with value and worth right and that's this objective truth that seneca is trying to promote equally paul is trying to promote and it's 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 important to recognize that there are problems like we are in a fallen world there are problems with the system there are problems with the people we can try and fix it you know in sociology they have these like theories of what uh, we, you know, what progress looks like, right? Mm -hmm. So you have like this structural functionalist theory or whatever. Oh, the system is good and the people are evil and that's why it's corrupted. Or, you know, your social conflict theory, which is that the system is evil. People can and should rise up and, and, and that's the Marxist type of beat of, you know, changing things. Or then you have like the third theory that's like symbolic interactionist theory. So you have this idea that both can be flawed, obviously the system and the people, and we all need to rise up together and have these, have these values. When we agree on these values, we can, we can 
have progress with Christians, non-Christians. This is what political philosophy looks like now, right? This is mm-hmm. what we're supposed to do as the Christian is to come to an understanding with non-Christians on we both want what is good. We all want to experience the good life. Sure, that looks different to us. Let's let's discuss that in a in a good and healthy manner, right? Mm-hmm. So that we can come to a conclusion on what we're supposed to do and what the ideal life looks like. And when we look at Paul and Seneca as contemporaries in this issue, we see Paul, and he is actually specifically speaking to another Christian when we bring up the book of Philemon, Mm -hmm. right? And what is happening in the book of Philemon? Philemon obviously is somebody who is thought to be brought to Christianity by Paul, Mm -hmm. and he has a slave and the slave is named Onesimus. Onesimus apparently does something, some sort of wrong toward Philemon, and he runs away. Well, by law, the Roman law, Philemon has every right to go look for that slave, bring him back home, and and treat him however the master wants to treat him. But Onesimus runs away. Somehow he encounters Paul, Paul leads him to Christ. Paul, during this time, is in prison, and we see that Onesimus becomes of great value to Paul. But Paul realizes that he needs to reconcile this relationship with Philemon. Mm -hmm. So when he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, then he sends him with this letter. And this is the letter that we get in Philemon. And Paul is writing to Philemon and appealing to his conscience, saying, open your arms, receive him with forgiveness. If Mm -hmm. he's done any wrong, I will pay for it. And let's restore this relationship. But what's interesting about this is that he says, take him in as a brother in Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So he is changing that relationship because of them both being Christians. And he's broadening this love toward one another, this forgiveness toward one another that we ought to extend in Christianity. And he's telling him, treat him respectfully, right? Mm-hmm. Treat him like a brother in the family. And so he also has this same idea of how we ought to treat one another, right? Yes. And of course, there's going to be situations, let me put a little caveat in here, where uh, people are harmed or wrong and, sh- and shouldn't go back into a situation because it's dangerous and all of those things. I'm not saying all of us should go back into dangerous situations. But Paul was sending Onesimus back to Philemon as a Christian brother to be reconciled. And this was going to be a better situation because Onesimus was once of no value to Philemon, but now he's of great value to Philemon. And that's what Paul writes in the letter, which is very, very good. And what we see in these relationships is that we ought to treat one another humanely, right? And Mm -hmm. Seneca is saying, basically, master-slave relationship, you ought to treat one another as a friend. Paul goes even farther because it's in Christianity. Treat one another like a brother. Yeah. And I think that recognizing or pointing out the pieces of Seneca, that it's talking about how the relationship should be a friendship, 
and putting that in the context of like that was already countercultural. That was already like, hey guys, what are we doing? You know, the people at the top are saying we want to keep our power. The people at the bottom are saying like, okay, 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 Seneca. <laughs> um, but then you have Paul that's like, no, treat him as a brother, take him and his family. And then it's like, whoa, 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 we're not gonna like. I don't know. We're not going to give him the master bedroom. I don't... Oh, we're not supposed to say master. <laughs> we're not supposed to say that anymore. We're not going to give him the big bedroom, you know? Um, yeah, that was... That knocked me off my game. Um, anyways, so... Moral of the story again. Seneca said that we should have uh, this understanding that all men are created equal. All... Everyone has this individual worth, right, independently. And we should seek Stoic philosophy in order to, you know, continue to have the the good life. Because that's what it was about for Seneca. The ultimate goal was to live the good life. He said, if you have a good relationship with your slaves or whatever, then you will have a better, a better life. Like, that would be a good thing for you. Now, obviously, Paul puts it in a higher context where... All men are, you know, they still have this this equality, but it's under God and it's not for the purpose of self-serving, like it's not an egoistic moral motivation, but it's this motivation that is what is right is to treat others as you'd want to be treated. And I think Seneca says it a different way. Treat your inferiors as you would be treated by your superiors, right? Yeah, by your betters. Yeah, he says that. Yes. So it's just very interesting that you can see, like, the moral motivation between the two is different, even though they have the same, you know, sort of path, because this ultimate good is to have a good life, to live in harmony, to be happy, to be independent of fortune, you know, all these things that seem to be the like fundamentals or backbone of stoicism so yeah so why should we care why should we care who cares exactly. about this who cares about stoicism why are we talking about seneca who cares about seneca so stop, long ago stop talking about seneca stop talking about them roman ancient rome okay we'll stop <laughs> um i would say the most important thing about studying the particular ideals of the time outside of again the scope of christianity sort of and hearing of the countercultural ideas of the local philosophers and things is to recognize that a we do all want the good life we are all seeking the same good so you know we can live as though uh christians and non-believers have this ridiculously different reality and there's no way for us to have harmony in this fallen world until Jesus comes back. Like we can look at things like that and we can just create division. It's easy to deconstruct a nation. It's not easy to build it back up, mm-hmm. right? So that would be the like Edmund Burke, you know, with his political philosophy, I believe it was Edmund Burke. He said something along those lines of, we can break things down, but we can't build them up easily, you know? So we should continue to revise. Yes, the system is broken, but it should be a, a slower process than like radical change, right? Which radical change is sometimes necessary, but what I'm saying is, we all need to come together and recognize that we all have the same values that, or, or the same goals for this life, and that is to be happy, content, and live the good life. Yeah, and one of the things that needs to be noted here is that we do live in the world, and we do not live of the world. 
And we are going to encounter people who have different worldviews from us. And this can give us the ability to open up the dialogue and say, oh, you you think that people ought to be treated humanely? So do I. And this can open up the conversation to say, where do you see that that worth and value comes from? It can open up dialogue to be able to share the gospel because ultimately that's where we want to be. And if we can come together and recognize, hey, we have some commonalities where we all want good for the community, then this really can create opportunities for us to be able to share what is the most important, and that is that God placed value on humanity, and this is how you can know him. And that brings it to like point B, where I would say treating others as you want to be treated is the most beneficial to do the right thing and for yourself egoistically. (laughs) And an unbeliever and a believer Mm -hmm. can get on board with that in seeing that that reality is good for every community. Mm -hmm. And then I would say finally, probably just recognizing that Stoicism, Christianity, they look sort of similar. They look sort of different, right? In that time, there were particular ways of doing things and there were different people that were seeking change, just like in today, like that's normal in societies, right? But being able to reflect back on Stoicism and how it sort of was, it it was a big deal for ancient Rome and ancient Rome became this empire, right? That ended up falling, but anyways, the point is they were powerful and they were big. A lot of people recognized the norm as being Stoic. Like, that's how things were. So this is kind of like the, I don't know, the the other, the people around that Paul was addressing sometimes, right? So when he was speaking to particular people that were Stoic, this is what we're looking at. And I think it's important to recognize that when we're reading through the Bible. Um, so I believe that brings us to a close. Any final thoughts? Well, I was just going to say this last thought, and that is that when we look at our society as a whole— regardless if it's a believer or unbeliever and we always want to try to advance the gospel we always want to share the gospel but but we also recognize that when someone isn't yet a christian then we are still trying to influence toward good character right Mm -hmm. and there's lots of character you hear this in schools all the time with kids like loyalty love patience kindness goodness all these all these different ideas And we can advance those on the table with other people and talk about how they can be good for our society. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter who it is. It's all good for our community when we're talking about things like that. And that's what I see in Paul and Seneca when I look at these letters. Mm -hmm. Paul may really have the thrust of what is needed for a society in Christ. Right. Seneca has part of it. So when we see part of it, we want to advance that. And then we want to also continue to advance what is going to be the best that the rest of that, and that's in Christ. Right, exactly. Stoicism, Christianity, both very interesting pieces of information to, to discuss together. So we hope this made you think.